0: Hey, everyone, and we're back. Hope, as always, everybody's happy and healthy. Uh, uh, Timmy is right over here. We're, we're unbelievably excited and so honored that we're going to be getting to interview uh, independent presidential candidate Mark Charles. to uh,
1: And his running mate.
0: Yeah, and his running mate, uh, Sedna Moya-Wafid-Sakuri, his uh, vice presidential candidate running, uh, running mate. So we are very, very excited about that. So I'm gonna send him an invite actually right now.
1: Well, you can do it through here. Uh, I'm not. Your tr- b- library can I see in another browser. Let me see. Oh, okay. Are you logged in somewhere else?
0: Let me see. I'm. I'm not. Okay, but yeah, we're getting. We're getting this, guys. We're getting it together. But of course, if anybody listening, you have any questions, mm-hmm. uh, type in questions, and we can. Uh, we can ask again. Hopefully, future we'll just, president. But yes. You, All right. Here, just a you, second. There we go. All right, now I can uh, share it. And I'm going to share this, uh, but, share this with what?
1: No, you can share it here. Look, right here, look.
0: Okay. Well, I'm going to text it can, to him right here. But you,
1: look, right, watch.
0: Yeah, share. I see that, but I'm going to text it to him here.
1: Okay. But you can okay, just can Send a it here, too.
0: Okay. All right, guys, we're getting it together.
1: What's his email? The email? Um, I can do it right here.
0: you just, I don't, I okay. don't have the email for him. So here, Smith, that's why I'm texting him. There you go. Just a moment. All
2: right.
1: Very good.
0: Yes, very cool. Uh, but yes, again, if you have any questions, uh, go ahead and uh, type in the what? Move your milk. What am I doing?
1: Move your milk. I can't oh, see. Oh, OK. Thanks. All right. Uh,
0: but yeah, uh, text in or type in any questions you have for him so we can ask them.
1: Well, how's everybody's weekend? I hope well.
0: Yeah, hoping so, as always. But yeah, very cool. All right. All
1: right, I'm gonna compose. And there it is. There's the email address if you want to. There you go. Send it to anybody?
0: Um, no, not an email to anybody. All right. So, okay, we'll go right back to this. But yeah, so very cool. So, uh, Mark Charles and, uh, Sednam, uh, pizza Wafeep should probably be joining us in a few minutes, but yeah, <clears throat> good things.
1: Yeah. Busy weekend.
0: Yeah, I think so. It's been a good weekend. I feel like it was a good weekend.
1: It was. It's always a good weekend with you, honey.
0: Oh, uh, same for you, Panda Bear. Of course it is. Yes, of course. How honored are you? I am honored, baby. That's the truth. Well, I was, uh, I was laughing. I was telling him, uh, all right, yep, Mark got the text. So good things. Um, so, yeah, so he's going to be uh, calling in in just a bit um, on this. But yeah, I was uh, laughing with uh, <laughs> with Timmy before. Yes, exactly, laughing, ha ha ha, just like that. But I was uh, laughing before about how uh, well I know. Usually, uh, when I when I work out, or sometimes when I meditate, uh, the little one, Major Buttons, likes to get involved. So I was doing a plank. It was a sixty second plank I was doing, and the little man came up, and he had those huge eyes as he crept up to me because, of course, he's hunting. He's hunting mommy. Um, so he crept up and then he stood up on his back, two legs and got the top of my head in the back of my head. And he's chewing on my hair as I'm, as I'm holding this plank pose, which is rather funny. So I, I laughed and I said, you're getting mommy, you're getting mommy. And after, after, I don't know, like maybe 15, 20 seconds of that, he realized, okay, this is boring because mommy's not responding (laughs) other than just saying, oh yeah, just, yeah, you're getting mommy. Oh, but yeah, that's, I couldn't get over this. I can't get over it. We've uh, topped 5 million virus cases here All right. in the U.S. Is that a good thing? No. Oh. But I'm just, just loving that because it's, wait, it, it's just going to go away. That's that's what we were told, right?
1: It's we're just going to go away. They don't, you know, they don't know how They do their best.
0: Uh, I think there are those that do their best. And then I think there are those that just generally don't care.
1: There's a lot of people like that. What's that? A lot of people like that. It's like true. Biden's just playing the sidelines. You know what? Tell it. You
0: know. I could see what you're saying, but that's why, again, that's why we're definitely uh, backing Mark Charles. Oh, let me get my note. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Just how uh, just as time passes, how everything just seems to be falling apart more and more and more. But then we're happy just uh, I know this one thing I know uh, Timmy and I both love just the amount of times, the amount of awfulness, the amount of hell that it seems that just about everybody's going through. We're just so unbelievably happy to uh, uh, find hope. Uh, there, there are moments of light, moments of happiness that show up here and there just to, enough to keep you from it feels like losing your mind. And again, that's another major reason why we're so behind Mark Charles. He's very much, uh, again, he's an independent presidential candidate. And uh, we're very excited excited to start hearing more from, again, Sednam, his, uh, his vice presidential candidate. Uh, but just hearing presidential candidates talk about how, uh, and Mark Charles has been like this from the start, the whole thing, it's the difference between uh, uh, make America great again, which is the idea that it used to be great and we can make it again, and then the idea of, well, America's already great, we don't have to make any changes. Uh, I would think, oh, uh, here, just a moment, I'm getting a call from uh, Mark Charles's uh, uh mark charles is uh one of his uh handlers sorry guys just a moment hi there essay sorry i just missed your call Well, that is okay. That will work. Thank you so much, Essay. That's okay. Well, we're looking forward to having him on as soon as he's ready. Uh, we're actually on already, so he can call when he can call in whenever he's ready. <laughs> Thank you, Essay. And we'll talk soon. Bye. Okay, everyone. We got a little bit of an update. Sorry about that again. That was again. She's uh, part of uh, uh, Mark Charles and uh, Sedenam's uh, presidential uh, candidacy. Well, part of their committee for uh, for elections. Uh, She just called in to let me know that Sedenam actually will not be able to join us, but Mark Charles will still be joining us. So. He'll be joining us basically any minute now, which is cool. Oh, but I was saying before, it's always uh, we're appreciating just the uh, uh, the uh, the uh, moments of light to see that there are people who actually do care. There are people who have uh, uh, what is it? Have uh, better perhaps better intentions and a better uh, better forward-looking viewpoint for uh, where not just not just this country, but the whole world could go. And uh, Mark Charles talked about how, uh, well, you know what, if you want to talk about how uh, making America great again, it's uh, things really weren't so great before Uh, you had. That's why the civil rights movement had to happen. That's why slavery, well, slavery, which technically didn't come to an end. That's why that it uh, it had to at least take a step in that direction. Uh, That's why women had to be finally offered the right to vote. Uh, And then if you want to talk about how things are perfectly fine now, nothing needs to change. uh, Look at all the protests going on, Uh, protests that are rightfully going on as far as, uh, again, uh, fighting against police brutality. Uh, But yeah, it's uh, very, very exciting to see a candidate step forward and not just say about how, okay, we're we're going to keep things the way they were or we're going to take them back to the way they were because that's not good for anybody except for old white guys but yeah uh, i don't know if you heard me or not but yeah so uh sa let me know it. she oh she is amazing so very cool so he should be joining us at any minute very good yeah i think so but yeah it's like with
1: um you know how they say about alcoholics or um people that abuse drugs Yes. When they say, um, oh, admitting there's a problem is the first step. Yes. In any kind of like recovery. Yeah. That self realization that, wow, it's, you know, maybe I do need to, you know, not drink heavily or whatever. Yeah. Whatever thing that's bringing you down in your life that's consuming you. And it could be the, the two go tos are always alcohol and drugs it's true for whatever reason. But the fact remains that I think, uh, when that saying is, you know, when, uh, first the biggest step is admitting there's a problem. Yeah. Just like with this, uh, country. Yeah. You have to admit. And that's why I think black lives matters is, is trying to tell people there's a problem. And, and of course, sure enough, you know, for even most people, like I've found, I know there was a problem, um, but for most people, not most people, but a lot of people are friends and relatives that are, uh, you know, not close relatives, but, you know, people you talk to and have in, in everyday experiences with. Um,
2: yeah.
1: I was shocked how many of them are just like, oh, what's the problem? You know, like yeah. the whole, so what? You know, like there, there's, you know, we've come a long way since the 50s it's only been 50 that's only 50 years
0: yeah 60.
1: just like I, I could say the whole thing is you know well technically we've been flying for about 120 years you know the Wright brothers did the kitty Hawk thing around 1900 right yeah i think so early 1900s yeah i don't think it was 1800s but 100 years isn't that long
0: it's really not
1: we're going to the fucking mars and you know there's uh was it, was it sputnik or the one the one they launched in the seventies is still sending pictures back, which is amazing to I me.
0: I feel like that is Sputnik. That might be it. I'm gonna look. But that, that up is first.
1: amazing that there's, t- there's this little fucking piece of machinery is flying through space. Yeah. Hasn't hit any asteroids yet. Hasn't hit any debris. Yeah. It's just doing its thing and sending pictures. It's fucking amazing.
0: Yeah.
1: It really is.
0: Yeah. And it how
1: is. I don't know how far it is from here, but.
0: Yeah. Neither do I. Um. Okay. Sputnik. I don't know if that's still out i want neil
1: degrasse tyson to call in just so i can hang up on him
0: oh panda bear don't we
1: invite him on for a guest
0: panda why why can't we panda bear yeah i'm gonna
1: refresh this because i don't it's in here okay right, let me see Yeah,
0: are broadcasting another window i wonder which uh, window that is
1: well all mines are off okay so make sure you're out of the app and out of it i
0: am you know yep. i'm gonna
1: go in and make sure that i can call it
0: oh yeah just cool so hopefully no, i am
1: i am fucking. Okay, no, no i'm not so okay so do i know
0: i don't know i don't know we're we're managing it somehow
1: i know less than nothing
0: <laughs> not true but yeah, very, very excited to have him on. We'll uh...
1: we'll, we'll try call calling just to test it.
0: Oh, okay. That's a good idea. Just to play it safe. Because mm-hmm. I know he will be, uh, Mark Shulls will be joining us in just a bit. But yeah, we will uh, check it out to make sure that we're still. Yeah, I'm sure. It's been exciting to see. He's been doing a lot of uh, press releases and uh, uh, speaking on a lot of podcasts. But yeah, so pretty cool. But yeah, just uh, it'll be an honor to get to speak with him again. And he can, uh, again, go over some of the things we talked about the last time. Oh, there we go. Let's try it. Hey, General Jim, can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. All right. Good stuff. All right. Okay. We'll disconnect. All right. Love you. Love you okay so we're out thank you for joining us fujimo and fujimo we are waiting for uh mark charles uh he's an independent presidential candidate for the united states he's going to be calling in basically any minute now which will be cool so we're very very excited to be interviewing him coming up but yeah so good stuff oh man uh, this is uh, yeah, let me see. I'm looking for some other for some other news and things that are going on at the moment. Uh, it's uh, you know what I can I can appreciate this. Apparently, well forty one percent of Americans have adopted a, a quote unquote minimalistic lifestyle. I can respect that. Uh, it's I mean minimalism kind of makes things easier in the first place. Uh, that's one thing I I, I know Tim Timmy and I've talked about this before too. Of course, uh, this uh, the lockdowns and the pandemic have affected people in very different ways. Of course, it's been very, very uh, tough on people having to actually go out and work during this and uh, coming into contact with people on a regular basis, like people working, uh, you know, service jobs, working at grocery stores, doing deliveries. They're the ones who are getting sick. Uh, we've Timmy and I've actually had it pretty easy for it because we've uh, we've final we've followed the lockdowns and we've stayed home and of course major buttons is very very excited that we're here all the time say it again it is it's true as far as entertainment it's uh there are some films that are shooting but really not many not any big ones. nope and uh not any big films not any uh, uh not any television from what i understand and theater is going to be shut down until, at the very least, spring of uh, 2021, which is, I know I'm finding that very difficult. I mean, of course, even films and anything like that, but I'm finding it. will go
1: by fast. fast. I hope. I think this winter will calm things down because people do want to get out. I mean, I'm start crazy too, but like I said, I, we actually had a lot of practice with me uh, having to, like, stay home. and
0: It's true, we did. Because
1: just the surgeries I had.
0: Yeah, we did. So we, we. So uh, kind of worked out. Preps, if you will yeah exactly we had training for it then we were just ready to do this yeah and then of course major buttons is very very excited that we're home all the time because
1: i still got to do my t-shirts
0: oh okay
1: no i mean the whole i want to do those custom t-shirts that are like you know uh i went to new york and all i got was this stupid covid 19.
0: yeah they're good <laughs> <laughs> that's a good idea
1: <laughs> or whatever you know whatever the first one was it was funny well i went to wherever and
0: whatever oh yeah which is i mean that's funny, that's funny. oh man you
1: give away his prizes yeah <laughs> connected with oh
0: yep fuji Yeah, is Fugimor. joining us right. oh man but yeah oh this is something hawaii is going to be all mail-in votes
1: oh what oh yeah well they're smart
0: yeah it's a good idea
1: well hopefully we'll get tulsi gabbard in the fucking mix
0: you know what well yeah we'll see We'll see uh, where that goes. Apparently she was defeated um, for a senator. Uh, but I don't know. We'll see. Did she? Uh, from what? I don't know for sure. But I oh. saw I saw something um, talking to him, speaking about how somebody somebody else was elected as senator in Hawaii. And the title of it was by Tulsi. Was what? By Tulsi.
1: Oh, man, that sucks. So I don't know. Well, now they're saying that Elizabeth Warden, Warren, Warren, um... Had raised the most money for um, uh, Biden, so she might she's the forerunner, or whatever.
0: You know, it's it's disappointing. I liked what she had to say.
1: Yeah, was well, uh, too progressive.
0: Yeah, there you go. Oh, because we can't actually have any progress, right?
1: Because well, then they have to admit there was a problem in the first place. Then
0: it's true, even though there very very clearly was a problem in the first place. Mm -hmm. oh yeah oh i'm loving this wait the white house is uh trying to trying to uh see if they can have trump added to mount rushmore yeah really
1: you know what i don't really really you know what say what you want about the president but um one of his things always was and always will be yeah Just like John Mullaney made fun of it. It's just, you know, hobo's dream, you know. Oh, I'm going to put buildings, my name on buildings and
0: everything's going to be gold. At
1: my TV show, I'm going to fire people with my children. Yeah. You know, with that being said, is that a surprise?
0: This really isn't so much of a surprise, considering.
1: I guarantee there'll be like post offices named after them and stuff. I guarantee. Say what you we'll want, see. but history will write him as, as a, as a, like a Teddy Roosevelt as a whole, uh, you know, one that, you know, a wild man kind
0: of, Definitely.
1: but unlike Teddy Roosevelt, he actually, I remember back in the, uh, I think it was during the Clinton administration when the real estate market was fucking overvalued then. Yeah. Um, um, I, um, I could swear I remember him. Making the argument for uh, why Central Park should be um, actually um, uh, some of it sold so they can build buildings. It's a valuable piece piece of real estate.
0: I get that, but Central Park is so nice.
1: Well, that's what they're saying. It's just the whole Central Park Conservatory. There's that uh, Strawberry Fields that John Lennon bought, and he paid whatever you had to pay. It's yeah. like in perpetuity to which where I wonderful. guess if they do sell everything else, they can't sell that. Yeah. Strawberry fields,
0: which is cool. Hence
1: Strawberry fields forever.
0: All right. Yeah. Hey, Mark Charles. I see that he's under the entered the live studio. You can call in whenever you're ready.
1: So, but you know, Well, yeah,
0: I hope they don't. I mean, I and I even understand it, too. There is a the homeless population has gone up considerably. I mean, we already have a large homeless population in NYC all across the US. But uh, considering how many buildings are here in NYC sitting empty, apartment buildings are sitting empty. There's uh, something seriously sick about allowing in again as uh, as uh, colder weather will be approaching. Uh, it's okay to just leave people living out on the streets, because if I well, hold on to this, I'll make money on it down the line. Like, really, I get it, but
1: well, not even that. It's just it's they don't have the mental health uh, yes. outreach that they yes. should have, and yeah. I get it. Like on it's actually on the on the upper west side that they're really there's a lot of uh, um, when there's a lot of pedophiles that are released um, on the west side. Yeah, upper West right side by Trader Joe's up there on 72nd.
0: I didn't realize like that, that whole
1: area there to where I guess um if you're registered sex offenders, a lot of them go there. That area. I mean that's uh, because they, they're having housing there now or instead of a shelter and like it's um it's just they tried to do too much too fast with the and I don't know if it's part of the pandemic or whatever. Maybe but I know because they were releasing a lot of people out of jail and you know most people in jail i would say most people in jail uh well a lot of them don't belong there and whether they just belong like again if you could release that many prisoners yeah because you don't want them to get COVID. um you know why um why um is that is that mark well it might be. Let's see if it is. Uh, no, it's Mark Charles it right just, here. We'll just see, and then it might be someone else, and we'll have to explain what's going on.
0: Hi, Fujimo. Hi, how you doing? Hey you Fujimo. Doing? We're getting ready to do an interview with Mark Charles, so we're gonna have to disconnect with you, okay?
1: Okay, no
0: problem. Uh, thanks, Fujimo. Thank you,
1: Fujimo. Thank you. Keep listening though. <laughs>
0: No, don't remove this
1: person. Oh yeah, all right. Mark Charles is calling you now.
0: All right, here's Mark Charles. Beautiful. Hello, Mark Charles. Oh.
1: Hey Mark, hold on. Yeah. Hold on, Mark.
0: Timmy has okay. something for you. Just a second.
1: We gotta introduce you correctly.
0: Yes, absolutely. So just give me a
1: second. I gotta where the heck is it?
0: And then of course we'll have you introduce yourself because you do such a spectacular uh, introduction of yourself that really explains things. Okay. All right. Here, just a second. Timmy's getting it. Here we go. See? Here it comes. See?
1: Do the wave.
0: Yeah, exactly. Got to practice the wave. back to the right, to the left.
1: Do the point. Like, it's just, oh, you know, you know. Yeah, you you go. got to practice that part, Mark.
0: Because it's... That's, it's gotta, it's gotta be you.
3: That's great. One, one of our volunteers, who I um, has been with our campaign almost from the very beginning. Uh, in last summer of 2019. Uh, this volunteer made their ringtone, that noise, that, that, that song. Yes, <laughs>
0: yes. So whenever yes. I
3: call, and they assigned it to me, so then whenever I call, she's like, <laughs> they, she knows they know it's me, you. It's, it's me calling. <laughs> See, that's perfect. See, you yeah, great minds think alike.
0: <laughs> exactly, but we are so honored we are welcome you back again. Now, everybody listening, this is Mark Charles. Uh, how about you uh, tell our audience about you?
3: Well, thank you. So let me introduce myself. It's good to All have man. you back, hey, by the way. Mark- Thank you. It's good to have, have you Charles back again. Inish, yeah. Can oh, you yes. hear me okay? Yeah, fine. Okay, Okay. so Mark Charles. In our Navajo culture, when we introduce ourselves, we always give our four clans. And we're matrilineal as a people with our identities coming from our mother's mother. So my mother's mother is American of Dutch heritage. Um, and so I say, I say, Loosely translated, that means I'm from the Wooden Shoe people. My second clan, my father's mother, is Toa Higlini, which is the waters that flow together. My third clan, my mother's father, is also Tsinbuketine. Then my fourth clan, my father's father, is Toto Chitini, and that's the Bitter Water clan. It's one of the original clans of our Navajo people. And I just want to acknowledge I'm speaking to you from my home today in Washington, D.C., and these are the lands of the Piscataway. And I want to honor the Piscataway as the host people of these lands, and I am and deeply humbled to have an opportunity to live on these lands and i'm grateful for their stewardship of these lands these hundreds even thousands of years the piscataway are still here and i just want to honor them as the host people of these lands
1: you want to know what another fun fact mark i grew sure. up in i grew up in piscataway new jersey and it was named after that tribe
3: oh okay yeah, it, yeah.
1: I just grew up, they called it Piscataway growing up, so I, I, it's hard for me to change that name ever since.
3: To
0: Piscataway. Right, because ever since I, you know, yeah. couldn't
1: even talk, that was, you know, now I learned yeah. it. But it's another uh, coincidence.
0: It goes to show how uh, how deep, again, the roots run of, again, Native American.
1: You uh, can Native try to destroy America. things, but you can't.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the 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 Haudenosaunee are also up in that area up New Jersey and kind of up this coast between here and uh, New York City and New Jersey so yeah but I'm that I'm that's good to hear how are you doing
0: we're we're doing well how are you doing doing during all of this
3: um things are a bit crazy but actually it's it's kind of funny because we are the only campaign our campaign that is 100% online we are on I'm not the only one, but of all the major campaigns, uh, we are 100% online. Meaning, we're not doing any in-person public campaigning anywhere in the country, even signature collection for ballot access. So everything we're doing is online. Okay. So if you have told me a year ago that I would be running for president this August <laughs> and I wouldn't be traveling anywhere, I would have been very confused. Because <laughs> well, yeah, um, I I imagine so. I literally haven't. I haven't been on an airplane um, or even much less civilian really in a car outside of D.C. since uh, March of last year. Our, but it goes uh, to
1: show how responsible right. you are, though.
3: Yeah. It, it goes yeah, to
1: show that part- how responsible that is, you know, like in everything considered. It's true. You know. Um,
3: yeah. Yeah. Our- campaign made the decision very early that we were going to remain online. We knew that this was a a pandemic. We knew that there was not going to be a vaccine for um, 12 to 18 months, and we knew that the best way to prevent the spread of the vaccine, especially to the vulnerable communities, which oftentimes are communities of color and uh, our elders, um, the best way would be to social distance, wear masks, and to uh, not go out in public. Yeah. Oh, That's what we've been doing. As a campaign. But
0: of course it must make things tough on a certain way. Like you said, not being able to be in person doing things, but that's still very responsible that
3: you're trying not to get people. But sick. fiscally
1: responsible too, because you don't have all that overhead. You can
3: Yeah, we're saving a lot of money on travel and hall rentals. Um, we are uh, you know, one of the things that makes it makes it more challenging doing everything online is connecting with local communities in the states around the country. You know, because once you're online, you're kind of anyone can watch and it's hard to really kind of target an audience only for especially if we do a live stream or a zoom call or something like that. You know, you can you can focus it on a certain area, but almost you're always going to get people from all over the country listening in and hearing in. And so we're trying to tackle that as a campaign team of how can we actually uh, focus our live streams and our uh, our messages to a more uh, localized audience. Um, while we're doing things online, so that's one of the challenges we're trying to uh, get over right now.
1: Right. Well, maybe we could have you in, come in more often, like when every maybe once a week or once every two weeks or three, whatever. You know, just way you, you know, it's always that whole well, Mark Charles is always on this show. It's whether it be yeah. whatever day of the week, always this time, just for an update and see what people can do or.
0: It's true because, yeah, because it's been very exciting to see you doing so many press releases and seeing you doing so many, like you said, Zoom calls and other other podcasts. It's good to see that you're getting out there and more people are getting to know you.
1: Yeah. And, and yeah. With, with the whole three, you know, I haven't heard it lately when I talk about you with the whole, well, the third party candidate is not, I haven't heard any of that, which is good because I, I an article today I read that were, you know, Joe Biden, they, even the Democrats are saying that he's probably not going to serve four years. Well, then why is he running? Why is he running then?
3: Right. Yeah, you mean so, eight years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He had, he had 50 sure. years to screw things up and he did. So, you know what?
3: Oh, but you you know, like I, know I get a lot of the third party, uh, dialogue going on on social media. It seems like I'm responding to that or seeing that very regular on social media, but we, we work very hard to point people not to celebrity or to name recognition, but to vision and to um platform and you know to this day one of our best campaign tools is our announcement video that we released 14 months ago
1: yeah it's a great video and actually I, we were looking for a picture off of that the other day
3: yeah and i'm like if i can get people to just watch that video uh virtually all the time they will come back and say your vision is amazing um you yeah, know they, they, i get emails from people in tears, literally in tears saying, I just watched your video and I actually have hope for our country again. So when you have one of the, the Republicans running one of the most divisive candidates they could find and the Democrats running one of the least inspiring candidates they could find, um, it doesn't take a whole lot to really distinguish yourself. And so that's what we've been trying to do as a campaign.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think too, I think everybody falls into the trap to where, Say what you want about Trump. He gets everybody to play their game. And what I mean by that is you watch like the Yankees the, or whatever team, there is very, very strong team. They go to like a team with a lousiest record and they get their asses beat because they stopped playing their game. They got thrown off one play and then they figured they're gonna zig, you know, and move off the script and they get decimated. And I think like that's what both political parties are doing too. They're just playing Trump's game. Mm-hmm. They're getting sucked into the crazy. That's what it is. I add. have not heard one person say, you know what, I don't, I know what the president's doing now. I don't want to talk about that nonsense. I want to talk about how to fix this stuff. I don't want to talk about cognitive tests. That's ridiculous.
0: Which, yeah. thank how, why are we doing yeah. that? Which, I don't care. actually talking about how to fix the problem. Right. I
1: don't care about have. Trump's, you know, the the, the the now his president's, you know, mental problems or if he has them. That's not my problem. My problem is, you know, you stick to the issues and that's why I dig it because a lot of these politicians, they get sucked in to the to the reality TV of the of the moment. And that's why, you know.
3: And that's the challenge with with Joe Biden's campaign is because he's running as the anti-Trump. Yes. He has to respond to everything that Trump says. Oh, yes. Which plays into Trump's game. Right. (laughs) Exactly. About driving attention and keeping himself in the center. Um, even if it's in a, in a crisis way. And so by Joe Biden responding literally to almost everything Trump says, uh, it just keeps poorly, that, I might add. That, that dialogue going when it's like we don't need to be talking about this. We, there's many, many other things we should be discussing than some of these things that are coming up from the Trump campaign that, you know, that, that then get responded to by the Biden campaign.
0: Exactly. Oh, but but tell us now, uh, why did uh, why did you and Sednam choose to run together?
3: Um, well, one of the reasons when we met, and, and uh, she was not able to make the interview today. That's right. And and that's and okay. So she can come, mm-hmm. come on whenever she
1: wants. She can come on whenever she wants. So,
3: um, one of the one of the things that I really appreciated about Sednam was when I met her first at the at the. Um, Third party campaign or the third party debate in Chicago last May, last March. And she demonstrated a very good knowledge of the doctrine of discovery. And that's one of the things I deeply appreciate about her because most politicians do not understand the doctrine of discovery. And the fact that she gets that and she understands that and she has that, not only that understanding, but that filter over the rest of our nation and over the challenges we're facing. Um, that's a very, very helpful thing. And so that's one of the things I most appreciate about, um, Sudanem and what she, what, you know, when I first met her at that, at that, uh, for, at that debate, I was really impressed by that.
0: That is wonderful, It's and it's uh, even in your book, Yeah, of course your speeches, you talk about it too, but even in your book you talk about the, uh, oh, thanks for sharing our live show nonsense. Uh, you speak about how uh, the doctrine of discovery is really basically solely responsible for most of the problems we have as a country.
3: Yeah, and this is really what our campaign is trying to do, you know, I've just, I've been meeting with our policy team for the past few weeks, and. We're trying to uh, you know, get our policies out there and let people know where we stand on issues. And one of the things I realized as we got deeper and deeper into those dialogues is we are in a space where the two parties are not able to have discourse on anything, right? We're in the midst of this global pandemic. We have tens of millions of, of people unemployed and our Congress can't even decide if they wanna provide our extend um, unemployment benefits, right? This yeah. is how broken our system is. It's and true. so when you talk policy, oftentimes you're not talking policy, you're laying out your shopping list or you're filling out your bingo card, right? You're saying, so I huh. check this, I check this, I check this, I stand here on this and here on that and here on this. And then people can come up with their lists and their bingo cards and say, okay, well, this candidate matches my, my card or this candidate doesn't match my card. And then they love you or they hate you, but either way, they stop listening to you. We we don't have the ability as a nation to have discourse, meaningful discourse about these very important issues. And so one of the things that we're actually beginning to do in our campaign and to shift our policy dialogue is rather than just releasing a checklist of this is where we stand on this bill and this is where we stand on this issue and this is where we stand on what this candidate said, we're saying, no, there's something deeper we have to discuss here. There's something deeper we need to learn how to have a conversation about and to frame. And if we don't learn how to do that in a in a in a diverse setting, we're never going to pass anything. You know, I mean, yeah. And that's even if you look at at let's just take Bernie Sanders, for example. Right. If he had not suspended his campaign, if he had won the nomination. Right. Yes. And if he had somehow become president. Yes, he there while he would have a lot of support for his uh, Medicare for all, he would also have just as many people on the other side of the aisle saying that's never going to happen. Right. I mean, yeah, um, Mitch McConnell has termed himself the Grim Reaper and his goal is just to kill everything that comes out. And so there because and so even though you're you're where you stand on a certain issue may get you into office. Yes. We've seen that doesn't mean you're going to be able to govern. You're not going to be able to actually move these things through unless you can drive it down your opponent's throat, which is what President Obama did with health care. It's what President Trump did with this border wall. And so our nation, I would argue, has never had the ability to have proper discourse about these issues in a diverse setting. They did have discourse when Congress was only white landowning men and the White huh. House was only white landowning men. Yeah. And then they could find some way to maybe some compromise on a few things because they all basically believed in the centering of white landowning men. But as Congress has got more diverse, we demonstrated as a nation that we're not able to have this type of conversation. And so our campaign, rather than just giving people our checklist, and this is where we stand here and that's where we stand there, we're saying, no, we need to learn how to reframe all of these dialogues. And then we need to begin to demonstrate and model how we can talk about them as a country, how we can actually have discourse on these issues. And we did that for the for the first time, Um, we really framed our we're doing our policy uh, live streams on Saturdays. And this past Saturday, I did a live stream on environmental issues, and what we need to do as a nation. And rather than just laying out a, a checklist, I went through and tried to reframe the entire environmental conversation.
0: Oh, and okay.
3: That's what we're trying to do as a campaign.
0: Okay, so the whole idea is basically. I, and I was wondering that was going to be my one of my questions too. Is uh, you're uh, like you said, there's going to be uh, some inevitable backlash from people who don't see things your way, who don't want to see these changes that we you clearly need or don't want to give up power. Uh, you think if you just uh, restructure the way you speak about things, that's how you can draw more people in, like like other well, members yeah. of the government, so that you can get somewhere. Yeah.
3: So how? So one of the things we said about about the environment, and there's some things that there's a lot of things that we debate that don't need to be debated anymore, right? We don't need to yes. debate whether or not global warming is happening, right? That's, You're right? We don't need to talk about that. Um, yes. That's that's a pointless conversation right now, um, and so now we can have rigorous debate. And the Democrats are have, trying to have a rigorous debate about, um, you know, what you do about carbon. Do you, how do you price carbon? What do you do about green energy, and how do you do work with that? Uh, what do you do about recycling and reusing and rot and and you know, the the right to reuse and all these sorts of things? All those debates are good and necessary, and they're having that debate out there and the Republicans are in engaging it in some way too, but both parties are centering the economy. So the Republicans are bragging that they've built up until May or up until March, the greatest economy our nation's ever seen. Now it fell apart in five days in March, <laughs> and April, but they, yeah. they were bragging they the greatest economy ever. And they were doing it by completely disregarding the environment. Disregarding, you know, they were, they were removing safety standards, they were removing um, legislation to protect the environment, and they were, and yes, anyone can make a large profit when you exploit the environment. That's not a very hard thing to do, and that's what they were doing, they were bragging about it. Now, the Democrats, with their Green New Deal, they are essentially saying, we can prosper as a nation while we save the environment, So they're promising all these jobs and return on investment in green energy and all these things while we save the environment. So both parties are centering the environment, are are centering the economy while they're either exploiting or trying to save the environment. But what we need to do is we need to actually center the environment and say we may actually may need to make some painful economic decisions because we're coming up to a tipping point. We're about ready to drive over a cliff. And just like with the pandemic, you know, so one of the points with the pandemic is we've had a global pandemic and there's been economies around the world have ground to a halt. Correct?
0: Yes, it's true.
3: What's amazing is the, the, the climate accord, the Paris climate accord and other commitments have said that they want a, um, a, 50% 50% reduction in carbon by 2030 and a net zero by 2050. Okay. Now, in the, in the past six months, when literally not only our economy, but the economies all around the world ground to a halt, right? I mean, manufacturing yes. slowed down, travel slowed down, commuting slowed down, everything slowed down. And we only reduced our carbon output by 17% and why so little? Well, the point is, we had a very, very, very painful shutdown. And we still only reduced it by 17%, which is Mm. only a third of what we want to get in the next nine years, and 17% of where we want to be in the next 30 years. And so, if we're gonna actually get to those goals, and those goals, many will argue, are not rigorous enough. They're not they're not um, they're not getting us where we need to be quick enough. Okay. So if we're gonna get there, it's gonna be a painful process. Think <gasps> how hard it was to get to seventeen percent. It's true.
1: Right? Yeah. Well
3: nobody and wants so to this is this is where I'm saying as a candidate for president, we have to prepare our citizens to make that we're going to have to make painful decisions if we want to make these goals. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, we haven't done anything with green energy over the past six months. We haven't transformed our those things. But again, one of the things I, I'm really pushing on, and this also comes out of the Doctrine of Discovery Dialogue, is we have to reduce our consumption. Right I now, that, Americans yes. are about 5% of the world's population and we consume 25 to 30% of the world's renewable resources. Uh, so yes. The American lifestyle is not sustainable. Hmm. Right? Yeah. The world, if, if the entire world were to live at the American standard, it's not sustainable. That's so true. We have to actually have a very difficult conversation on our level of consumption.
0: Now, do you think it's uh, based on, well, we're like, the U.S. We're a very throwaway society. Do you think Absolutely. that? Yeah. Do you think that uh, it's possible to really uh, take a throwaway society and get them to not throw things away so much like that? Do you think it's. Well, again,
3: uh, this, is, this is where and this is one of the things I'm talking about. So you can have all this legislation, right? You can pass legislation. You can cap this and. And legislate that and and tax this. But we have this value system, this ideal of an American dream, right? Hmm. Yes. And it has a certain level of a standard of living. And that value system is what we need to change. Now, you can't legislate values. You can model them. You can model them. You can advocate for them. You You can... talk about them and even teach on them, you can't legislate them, at least not effectively. And so this is where I would argue, yes, one of the goals of the president is to you know, govern our nation and, and, and guide things, laws into place and have policies on things. I would say the other part of our president and all of our leaders is to model a different set of values so that we can actually begin to shift the cultural values of our nation so we don't value a two-car garage. You know, if, if we just switch all of our cars from gasoline engines to green engines, we're not changing our consumption. We're not changing our values. We're just swapping out one for the other. Because we actually power need-, need to address our consumption and our values. And I think the president plays a very can play a very important role in that if that president has integrity and is willing to model something different.
0: Yeah, It sounds like more of a uh, the way you're describing it. It sounds at least at least to myself, it sounds more easy, easy to digest. It's uh, a it's a shift. Like you said, it's not just like, oh, uh, you know, just stop this. Like, no, you just do something different.
3: Yeah. And and so one of the challenges we have is our our leadership does not have integrity, right? So huh. I, I did some research no kidding. right now. They can't they can't decide on, on unemployment benefits if they want to extend those or not. And they're they're saying that paying people this extra six hundred dollars a month or a week is actually motivating them to not go to work. Hmm. Not to go back to work. Now one of the things I looked at, I looked at the, the ten leaders from from the Congress, both in the House and the Senate, from both parties, the 10 leaders, and found that I think it was seven of them have been in office since the 1990s or even earlier than that.
1: Well, Joe Biden's been in there 47 years. For
3: at least 20 years, right? If not some, even 30 or 40 years.
2: Yeah. It's crazy.
3: So they've been in office during the Great Recession, during the housing market crash. They were in office during the government shutdowns. They're in office during the pandemic. They have not had, they have not felt income insecurity. No. In 20 to 30 years. Yeah. Right? Yes. So it's not surprising that they're willing to play a game of chicken with people's unemployment insurance and benefits because they have not experienced income insecurity or housing insecurity in several decades, they've gone through all of these huge crises that have literally shaped millennials lives. It's true, and they haven't even experienced them. And so this is where I'm like, our leaders don't have integrity. This is why they're not taking these things seriously. And so we need leaders who actually I said, this is one of the greatest arguments you can make for term limits. Yes, yeah, we actually have people who remember within the past eight to 10 years. Oh, yeah, I remember, you know, this they remember the struggle. Had all these ups and downs. I remember these struggles. I remember how much a gallon of milk costs. I remember trying to pay my rent and not, you know, even even if you look back to the government shutdown that'd be two and a half years ago. Right. We had our government shut down because Congress couldn't do their job and decide on a budget. And huh? they kept getting paid. Meanwhile, they required TSA workers to go to work without pay.
1: Right.
0: Which, which yeah, just doesn't make sense. But like you said, it's no not
3: I mean, integrity like, whatsoever. Yeah. So while so while the Republicans are saying yes, the economy we had this very robust economy last, our in January and February, and some chan and some senses. They're right. Right. We had 11 years of a bull market. We had um, unemployment at historic lows. We had um, corporate profits at historic highs. There were a lot of signs that the economy was humming along pretty well. But the reason it all crashed in three to five in five days is because our economy actually wasn't working. We had, yes, unemployment was low, but that's because so many people were working two to three jobs. It's because Man. minimum wage actually isn't livable. It's true. So, Even at $15 Mr. No. Mitch McConnell is saying, oh, you know, six, $600 a month or a week is too much money. People are mo- aren't motivated to go back to work. Well, so what he's saying, these workers that we call essential, correct? We call them our frontline workers, our essential workers. And we're yes. saying they're not worth a livable wage. So we call them essential but we pay them and treat them like they're expendable and i am quite certain that mitch mcconnell would snub his nose at a job that only paid six to seven hundred dollars a week You I'm would think confident he would he would never consider taking a job and yet he's saying we need to pay these essential workers are putting their lives on the line by working during a pandemic. We need to pay them
1: even less than that. Yeah, you know, I think that might be also a uh, part of like the treasury. And what I was telling Jolin and kind of a in a joke is if you have the best credit and you have a lot of money, you really don't need like a credit card. You really don't need a loan, you know, because stuff is just given to you because it's whether it's inherited wealth or whatever the situation is, um, you have a good credit rating you get like 0% if you borrow money, but if you know your credit's less than normal, you pay these 20, 25% interest rates. You figure it should be the other way around, right?
0: I get what you're saying. Don't <laughs> you, you know what I mean? But I'm, <laughs> curious. I'm curious what you think too, uh, Mark Charles. Would there be, uh, uh, has your team been working on uh, any type of uh, uh, potential recovery? from the from the after this pandemic because they're saying that it could be if if it's anything like the spanish flu it could be almost another year until it's over
3: uh
1: or or made or contained this is one of the things our campaign has been doing since the beginning
3: one of the challenges if you look at when our nation began shutting down last last march the way we cope with it as people and the way our leaders led us to cope with it is to tell ourselves it's only temporary Right. We're, at first we said, okay, schools will only be shut for a few weeks, maybe a month. Everyone will be back in school by April, maybe late May at the latest. Um, and then there's like, okay, well, we'll be back in, by summer, you'll be able to take your vacations and we'll be back then. And I said, well, we'll have school starting in the fall. Everything's gonna be, we've been coping with this by telling ourselves this is almost over. This is just a short-term inconvenience. Ah, yes. At the very beginning of this pandemic, I actually told my daughters in, in March, and April when they, when their schools shut down, I said, yeah, I would not plan on going back to school this year. This is a global pandemic. We're not going to get a vaccine for 12 to 18 months. The only way you can keep from spreading an infectious disease during a global pandemic is to social distance and to wear masks and to stay home. And so I I began preparing my daughters. Yeah. You will most likely not be going back to school this school year and I'm not even positive about, about the fall yet. And so yep. I was. So we didn't go through this wave of emotion, right? Of, oh, we're almost done, we're almost there, and oh, now we can't go back to school, right? We've, I've been preparing my family for this is a long-term thing. Now That's imagine good. if we, as a nation, had that type of vision, and instead of telling our educators and our businesses that, okay, just hang on for a few more weeks. Everything's gonna be fine. This is gonna magically disappear. What if we actually begin working back then at a federal level to how do we actually fund and address some of the shortcomings of online learning, of online learning so that we can actually do this effectively for 12 to 18 months? One yes. of the reasons online learning is so challenging is because we, we haven't been planning for it. We haven't invested money in it. We haven't said this is going to be a national priority. Sure. And so this is what we need to do as a, as a country is we need to actually cope with this better by looking at it for the long term and not saying it's going to be over in just a few weeks or a few months. And yeah. then right now we're literally spending trillions of dollars to prop up an economy that doesn't work. Well put. Right? It wasn't paying a livable wage for most people in January and February of 2020. And we're literally spending trillions of dollars to prop back up plus. And so we need to, one of the, one of the things I actually brought up on the environmental discussion the other day, we need to have a discussion on, can you ethically and morally be a billionaire? Like, ah uh,
0: Yes. What is your opinion on that?
3: I don't think you can, because to have to hoard, a to uh, accumulate that much wealth. Yeah, you know, I've said this before. You can't earn a billion dollars. Ah, you can exploit your way to a billion dollars. You can cheat your way to a billion dollars. You can you can uh, rip up taxpayers to your way to a billion dollars. You can't earn a billion dollars during the the primaries. There was that great debate where. Elizabeth Warren and Michael Bloomberg were going at it about his wealth. If you remember that debate um, last year. And he said at one point, I worked very hard for my money. I've earned my money. I worked very hard for it. Now, what was very striking about that was he staffed his campaign, correct? Yes. By telling people win or lose, they would be employed through November. And then when he Mm -hmm. dropped out, what did he do? They weren't employed anymore. He gave them all a laptop and set them loose. That's how you get a billion dollars. Yeah. And so, and so this is, is
1: and this is what the world watching too.
3: We have the Democrats, right? And they are, they are figuring out ways to fund their social programs. By doing what? Taxing billionaires. Yes. Well, if you want to tax billionaires, you need an economy that continues to produce billionaires. There you go. Oh, That's well, not going to fix the problem. That's a good point. And so I would much rather have a discussion long term about how do we build an economy that doesn't produce billionaires? Yeah. Not, not by taxing them, but by actually addressing some of the systemic inequalities in our economic system.
1: Right. like if, for example, if you if you want to tax a billionaire, say at twenty percent, say he makes a billion dollars a year at twenty percent, instead of having him make a billion, if he makes, say, a hundred million, you take that nine hundred million, you give that to to the workers as part of their salary, and that that twenty percent will still get paid through their their you know, their income taxes. So, you know, that way it's a little more spread out and everybody's as paying their fair share, as it were.
3: This is where I think Andrew Yang comes in and he has a very intriguing argument about universal basic income. Yes. And he says because of automation, because of technology, we are actually reducing the number of jobs we need. Right. And so we need to find a way to continue to feed people and pay people and get money in people's pockets. Even though, while well, technology and corporations are sucking up their jobs, because we're finding more efficient and more and better ways to do things, and so he brings in a very interesting argument about universal basic income. I'm intrigued by him. I'm not convinced. He, I, I he hasn't convinced me yet how to pay for it. Just like okay. Bernie Sanders hasn't convinced me yet, he knows how to pay for. Medicare for All. I believe healthcare is a right, not a privilege, but he hasn't convinced me yet he knows how to pay for Medicare for All. And so this is where I think we need to have we need to reframe this whole dialogue. You know, one of the one of the things we need to talk about, I would say, is our understanding of what it means to be a corporation, right? Because corporations, what do they do? They limit your liability. Yes. Yes. So we have people like Donald Trump who incorporate businesses literally drive them into the ground into bankruptcy. Yes. Hundreds even thousands of people lose their jobs, lose their livelihoods, and people like Donald Trump walk away having pocketed millions of dollars. Yes. I think we need to have a discussion on executives of corporations need to have some skin in the game. Yeah.
0: Okay. True. So the uh, just they having a corporation doesn't Protect you legally.
3: They, yeah, they cannot. I don't think they can. They can profit wildly from a corporation that later goes bankrupt.
2: Hmm. Huh.
3: And so I think there has to be some sort of. We have to. We have to make them accountable. So right now we have a lot of corporations going bankrupt. Right. Yes. What are they doing? Well, they're they're asking for permission from bankrupt judges, bankruptcy judges, for the the right to pay their executives, six and seven figures. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because they don't want to lose the talent during the bankruptcy.
0: Yes. But they can but lay they off they everybody have, who worked for them.
3: They can lay off everyone else, but they actually increase the pay of the people who help lead the company into the ground. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm saying is we have to we have to tweak this. So that yes, if, you, if you're able to make money off your corporation, that money you make, actually you need to be somewhat liable for it, where you can't just pocket that. So I just read an article today um, about a lawsuit against, I think it was one of the, the CEO of McDonald's who um, he, he uh, had some inappropriate actions and he um, was moved out of the position and he was given like a $42 million bonus and then it turned out he lied about what he had done wrong. and He had covered up some stuff. So oh. now McDonald's is suing him for that $40 million. Yes. Right? And I think that's what we need to have. We need to have some way where maybe you don't put at risk what you brought into it. Right. So if you had a million dollars before the corporation started, that million is safe. But if you if you profit $20 million over your, the time you, you run and leave this corporation, and then it goes bankrupt at the end, I think when the corporation is liquidating a good piece of that 20 million, the person who was the executive needs to be held somewhat liable.
0: That seems reasonable.
3: Again, the problem is, is we have this environment where people who literally pocket billions of dollars have very little liability. And yet they're playing with the livelihood and the jobs and the, and the income security and the housing security of hundreds, thousands, maybe even millions of employees. And they have very little at risk. So it's not just about taxing billionaires more. It's about creating an environment that actually makes it harder to actually earn a billion dollars.
1: Without losing.
0: Yeah, which well, it doesn't seem unreasonable. It sounds like if you say that right off the bat, it sounds unfair, but that explanation of it, it sounds perfectly reasonable.
3: This oh, is no. what I'm talking about. We have to reframe all of yes. these dialogues.
0: Yes, absolutely.
3: Yeah, we one have of our. To look at them from a different angle and come to a different and hopefully better solution.
0: Yes, and that's what one of our listeners had said so many of our problems is because the language is broken. Uh, so yeah, so that absolutely makes sense. Now you mentioned a few minutes ago about uh, like uh, loving the idea of uh, Bernie Sanders and even Elizabeth Warren had said it, uh, um, Medicare for all, but not sure, not being sure if uh, that's actually a possibility. Uh, what does what does Team Mark Charles see as a good option as far as uh, health care, uh, making it so, so I, it's I not
1: so? want Medicare for all now?
0: I, What's
3: that? I, I I believe very strongly that healthcare is a right not a privilege right yes. in our country it's a privilege and i believe it's a right bernie I, I i very much am intrigued by some of his solutions and what he wants to do he hasn't convinced me yet he knows how to pay for it okay but i think he's i think he's in the right track i think he definitely needs him and his scores need to be in the dialogue okay um, you know one of the things that I've, I've said though and this is going so my focus is you know my 100 day plan is i want to remove the racism the sexism and the white supremacy from our constitution yes right? i want to take out all that language from the constitution and actually edit the document um through amendments and and remove the racism sexism white supremacy i think we can get that done the first 100 days so again okay. going back let's say bernie doesn't suspend his campaign he he wins the nomination he wins the white house and he's able to drive medicare for all down the throats of the republicans okay okay now let's say we do that but we haven't removed the racism the sexism and the white supremacy from our foundations yes so there is very little that is distributed equally or equitably by our systems you almost always have the people from the margins getting less it's true Had we been able to do that had he been able to, to get elected and drive Medicare for All down the throats of the Republicans, we would have great health care for white men. Hmm. And hmm. everyone else would get a hodgepodge. Could you imagine what would happen to women's reproductive rights and and, and health care?
2: Hmm.
3: Right?
0: Yes. Right.
3: As always. Administration, by administration, even if we had Medicare for All. Again, white landowning men would get great health care. Everyone mm-hmm. else would get a hodgepodge. Yes. So I'm saying, yes, Bernie, I like your idea. We have to actually fix the foundations first. Mm-hmm. and Then we can get to your discussion about what do we do about things like this. The same thing with universal basic income, I think. I, I, I love Andrew Yang's thinking on it. He hasn't fully convinced me he knows how to do all of it, but I think It's an important part of the conversation. Definitely, it's a a creative solution to a a problem we're going to increasingly be facing as we go into greater technology and AI and everything else we're doing in automation. And so I love that kind of thinking. Um, But as I always say, let's fix our foundations first. So then whatever we end up doing actually will be distributed equally and or equitably.
0: Yes. Now I'll go back to you, just mentioned about how uh, removing the uh, racism from the Constitution. I know we have some other listeners on today that weren't listening the first time uh, that you had called in. Uh, so would you mind explaining what you're saying about removing the racism from the Constitution?
3: Yeah. So if you actually, on my website at mark 2020com on our blog, I have a version of the Constitution. And probably about five years ago, I read the Constitution straight through. I don't think i had ever done that, especially not as an adult. So I read the entire Constitution, preamble through the 27th Amendment. Okay. I was shocked as I read it. There were so many racist, sexist, and white supremacist statements littered throughout the Constitution. There are 51 gender-specific male pronouns, 51 he, him, and his. Okay. There's not a single female pronoun in Mm -hmm. the entire Constitution. I was so appalled i started actually going through it as i read it with a with a a strike through font i downloaded it to my computer i put it in a text editor and i put, use a strike font. okay every time it says him i'm going to change that to a gender neutral pronoun or a proper noun yes right let's let's take the sexism out of it the, the the racism if you read article one section two of the constitution this is the part that determines who is and who is not included first of all it, it never mentions women second is specifically excludes natives and third, it comes african just three-fifths of a person that's the three-fifths compromise in article one section two so i just put a clause through that or a strike through that clause that's, you shouldn't even never said this yes the 13th amendment which most people thinks abolished slavery it doesn't actually abolish it it redefines and codifies it under the jurisdiction of the criminal justice system what it says is neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereas the party has been duly convicted shall so exist within the United States or any place subject to their, their jurisdiction. So Just Max wow, so
0: slavery's okay if it says punishment. Keeps
3: slavery legal in prison. Hmm. So this helps us understand why we have the highest incarceration, incarceration rate of any country in the world and why we incarcerate people of color at three to five times the rate we incarcerate white people. This is why we have things like George Floyd being literally murdered Lynched by the Minneapolis Police Department because this is where we constitutionally protect white su- white supremacy and slavery is in our policing system, in our criminal justice system. And so, in my edited version of the Constitution, I just remove that clause. Let's just abolish slavery. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the United States. Period. Yes. No clause keeping it legal in prison. Yes. Now, if you read through this version of the Constitution, you'll notice I'm not changing checks and balances. I'm not changing balance of powers. I'm not changing so much of what people appreciate about the Constitution. And actually, by making these edits, I'm actually helping the Constitution to say what most people believe it already says. Very true. Most people are surprised at how exclusive, how racist, sexist, and white supremacist the Constitution is. I've told people if you, if you think the constitution was meant to include everybody,
0: get on a zoom
3: call with some women, some African-Americans and some native Americans and read the constitution out loud. Yes. You will be appalled at how racist, sexist and white supremacist that document littered throughout the entire document. And so my goal is let's just remove the, that language from the constitution. And this isn't going to be the final solution, but this actually gets us to a much better playing field where now actually we, the people, can actually mean all the people.
0: It's like you'd said, uh, it's like you've said a few times before, too. It's working on the foundation. Now, do you think, uh, do you think like at the, even after a little bit of time, after, of course, start, yeah. You have to actually work on the foundation because clearly the whole the whole damn thing's falling apart. It's uh, it's all of course corrupt. Uh, do you think that working on the foundation is going to be enough to really actually even uh, tackle issues like police brutality? And clearly, again, uh, the KKK and uh, Nazism is we're finding out it's a very very strong part entrenched. of our government. It's yeah, entrenched. it's entrenched.
3: And well, and that's where you know. So right now, even in the past. Three months and two months since the the murder of George Floyd, we've had a very robust debate in our nation about policing, about systemic um, white supremacy, about institutionalized racism, and you know Joe Joe Biden has suggested maybe we need to shoot people in the kneecaps instead of in the chest. Um, <laughs> has suggested maybe we should ban a few chokeholds. Um, I'm the only candidate who's saying. We should abolish slavery. Yes. Mm. If we want to get rid of this institutional problem, we should actually go to the root of it, which is Abraham Lincoln protected white supremacy in the 13th Amendment in our criminal justice system. So let's remove that clause and then we can actually reform it. Just banning chokeholds or shooting people in a different part of their body is not going to fix the problem. This is not a training issue. The problem is our Constitution is working. Huh. It's doing what it actually says it is going to do. And have, so you... we have to, This is where we have to change the foundation. If we want to reform the criminal justice system, we have to start with abolishing slavery. Later we can get to the, the conversation about, about training, but we have to start with re, with fixing what's embedded in the foundation. And I'm the only candidate who's advocating for this. That's true.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: you're too nice for a person. That's why I would say Joe Biden is an idiot because that's a solution. Well, instead of shooting him in the chest, just aim down lower. That's again, you know, it's, it's a fire. You need water. You don't need soda. You don't need, yes. see, you need water. You know, he's this just such where, an idiot. That's not how you do where, it.
3: You know, the, the, the two-party system is designed to yeah.
1: serve oligarch. maintain the status quo. Yep.
3: It's true. It's exactly. designed to it's, maintain the status quo. And so this is why we have to actually run, have candidates run outside the two-party system. We have to get people comfortable and given the courage to vote outside the two party system. Um, If we want change, real change, you actually have to break the status quo, which means not voting Democrat or Republican. Mm -hmm. And actually going outside of that system that is all about maintaining the status quo.
1: The two party system that tells you they're gonna fix things after a hundred years, Yo, we, we messed up for 99 years, but now we got the answers. So if you just elect us now, this last time, this is the last time we swear –
0: We're going to get it right this time. Well, you're talking about how like uh, encouraging, well, letting people know like, hey, there, you don't have to vote for uh, blue or red. There are better options than Democrats or Republicans. Uh, But of course, even voting as a whole in the U.S., we're finding out more and more there are massive issues because it's uh, between gerrymandering and then actually flat out corruption of trying to make it so people cannot vote. Uh, does your campaign have, uh, is your campaign working on something, have something in mind to actually start getting rid of that?
3: Again, this is where I think we need to, as I do with everything else, we have to address the foundations. Article 1, Section 2 sets up basically the framework for the Electoral College. At the Three-Fifths Compromise, they weren't debating who can vote or who couldn't vote. They were debating how do we count the people who can't vote?
0: Ah uh, yes. And it was
3: actually it was the south where there were more african people enslaved. They wanted to count enslaved people as whole. Yeah. And the north that had less african american people wanted to count them as less. And so their compromise was this three-fifths compromise. Women <laughs> weren't weren't allowed to vote neighbors which are excluded in article one section two now we're not talking about who's voting we're talking about who is represented yes that their vote so the the whole purpose one of the primary purposes of the electoral college was to maximize the influence of the white landowning male and to marginalize the people who weren't and so this is why it's not surprising today that the Supreme Court doesn't want to rule, or actually will hold up gerrymandering. The entire system was meant to maximize the influence of the white landowning men. That's why we have an electoral college. And so we have to address this at a foundational level, not just at oh we need to just fix this cosmetically. This is a foundational level. And when you look, actually, you know, because right now there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, heat. On President Trump because he's trying to basically use mail-in voting um, as a way to scare people, and he's, he's talking about voter fraud. And even though yeah. there's credible evidence of voter fraud, he's um, actually appears to be uh, reducing the budget for the post office, and you know, and they can't saying they can't handle the the volume of mail, even though he's doing nothing to increase their budget. Yeah, and he's literally he's trying to scare people about mail-in voting. Now the Republicans know that the more people vote, the less chance they have of winning. Yes. So they're they're afraid of voters. Yes. The less voters, the better chance they have. Now Democrats, they are afraid of competition. It's Democrats who are screaming vote blue no matter who.
0: Yes. It's Democrats
3: <laughs> who are pressuring third party candidates and independents to get out of the race. Democrats. So so the Republicans are afraid of voters and the Democrats are afraid of other candidates. So neither party has a true value for democracy. That's true. Right? They, they both want. And, and even if you look at, you know, a year ago, the Democrats had one of the most diverse pool of candidates ever in their history running. Yes. Women, more members of LGBTQIA 2S Plus, mm-hmm. um more more people of color. And during the primaries, it was Jill Biden talking about her husband who said, My husband may not be as good as your candidate on whatever issue you're thinking about, healthcare. But we have to look at who's gonna win. Yeah. Meaning we have to look at who the white landowning leaders of the Democratic Party are going to allow to be in their <laughs> in the, in the nomination.
0: Yeah, and control. obviously it's
3: going to be the oldest, most white landowning male in the group. Which yes. Is. And Joe Biden feels very entitled to. Oh his, my God. His position of the, as the nominee. If you challenge him on anything about that, he's, his entitlement will be very, very evident. He feels yeah. very entitled. To this position he's in, right now.
1: Oh my god, yeah, you coin that. You're absolutely right. It's it's almost and shameful.
3: And so and so over the over the course of of the campaign, you know, because they the the primary season runs through Iowa and New Hampshire, Iowa, which is the fourth wide state in the country, or hmm. the sixth wide state in the country, New Hampshire, which is the fourth, Iowa, which has the highest percentage of private lands in the nation, New Hampshire, which has the highest level of home ownership. Literally, they run their campaign making white landowning men the gatekeepers of presidential politics. Yes. And so it's no surprise that come December and January, all of the people of color are removed from the debate stage. Now, if you look at it, it's very interesting because, right, it, Joe Biden was obviously the establishment's choice. Yes. He's who they wanted. Bernie Sanders was maybe a halfway decent third option. Pete Buttigieg was way too young, I think a lot of people felt. And then, and then then, uh, Michael Bloomberg comes along, right? And he's not a Democrat. But I think the establishment kept him around because they're like, Okay, if Joe doesn't catch fire, because Joe looked pretty anemic as a candidate, like he looked, his campaign was not very robust, right? He didn't have a lot of life in his campaign. Yeah. And And so there was a lot of fear, like, is he actually going to be able to to get the the nomination? And so Michael Bloomberg entered the race. He spent over a billion dollars, if I remember correctly. And they actually changed the rules, right? They changed the rules for the primaries, for the debates, so that Michael Bloomberg could debate. They took away the the number of of the amount of money they had to raise because he wasn't raising money. And so, while they're removing the people of color and the women from the stage, they're creating space for Michael Bloomberg to get in, and then Elizabeth Warren took care of him in that one yes. debate I was referencing earlier. Yes. And then and- it was in South Carolina, you know. So we had we had Sanders and Buttigieg in in the, some of the early races, and then we had Joe Biden, who had this improbable victory in South Carolina. And literally within 36 to 48 hours, the entire establishment of the Democratic Party aligned behind Joe. <laughs> He's the white guy we can stand behind now, right? Yeah. He just dropped out. Amy Klobuchar dropped out. Elizabeth Warren dropped. Like, literally, they were, just, they were falling like flies. Yeah. Because the establishment was getting, uh, finally, okay, we have our white landowning mail. It's not going to be Pete. It's not going to be Bernie. It's not even going to be, it's not even going to be, um, uh, um, Michael it's going to be Joe. And so then he was, it was just a coronation the rest of the way around. I, eventually even, even Bernie dropped out and it was, it was essentially just a coronation. And yeah. so again, the, the Democrats are not, while they had a diverse group of people to start the campaign, it was very clear throughout this entire race that they were just trying to figure out which of the white men they were going to have. Yeah. They knew they weren't going to have, they knew they weren't gonna have um, Cory Booker. They knew they weren't going to have a woman. They knew they weren't going to have, um, you know, others. They were trying to decide between, of the white men, which one was going to be the best one to represent them. And Joe was their favorite. And once they saw he had a fair amount of support among the African-American community in South Carolina, yeah. then the whole party just, establishment
1: just nuts.
3: consolidated behind him. And then they, he got coordinated on. He'll get coordinated in a few weeks now.
0: They were all marching in step. Yep. Huh.
1: Joe's
3: going to do He's what we wanted to do. Stuff.
0: Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah,
3: Joe, Joe is Osworth. the establishment. He absolutely is the establishment. And, and uh, uh, according to the old rules, it was his turn, right?
1: Yeah, which is just mm. nuts to me. Yeah. But it's I mean, not it's because it's when you're, the, you know, it's the, like you said, white landowners, or actually any. You know, it's primarily white landowners, but when you have any landowners that are, you know, not wanting any kind of change, you know, the problem isn't with us. It's with everybody else. It's with the welfare moms, because that's always a good target. Yeah.
0: You thanks, know, Reagan. Yeah. You know. Oh, you got to love that. So, yeah. Got to ask, too. Like, uh, and you were even mentioning. Uh, that's
1: talk- the, I, I remember when Mitt Romney, you mentioned before with uh, Bloomberg, too. I remember Mitt Romney during one of the debates. And he was running um, during the last election, prior election. Yeah, he'd said to somebody like, "I'll bet you seventy five thousand dollars that blah blah blah." But that's how out of touch he is. You're gonna bet seventy. You're gonna bet two years' worth of most you know average Americans pay.
0: Yeah. On a yeah. bet. Yeah. That's
1: how you you just sank yourself.
0: It's an out of touch. Well, well I've
1: I've actually know people that bet you know, kind of brushed along. People that liked him until they met him. Yeah. Because he is that asshole. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Apparently. Well, you're talking before about how, uh, well, like you said, it all comes down to, again, doctrine of discovery and actually having to really change the Constitution so that the Constitution is not racist, sexist, homophobic, everything. Um, what are your feelings on uh, the war on drugs? The war on drugs
3: is a racial disaster. Mm -hmm. Um, If you actually, this was a few, maybe about a year and a half ago, I was doing some research. I was working on my book, and I was at a point where I I had to put my book down for a few days because I was processing through some stuff I was writing. Which, by the way, what an incredible
0: book. Got to read that. Nice work.
3: Oh, thank you. Yeah, Unsettling Truths, The Ongoing Dehumanizing Legacy of the Doctrine of Discovery. My co-author, Seung Chan Ra, and I are very pleased with how it's doing and uh, hoping that it gets it gets more attention even, um, but yeah, we felt very we feel very good about it. Um, thank you. But so I was I had to put some the, the book down for a few days, and I was at a coffee shop and I decided I just I wanted I knew about obviously the war on drugs back in the in the eighties and nineties, um, and I knew it was basically a war on race. And then I yes. knew it began switching around the late nineties, early 2000. And I, but I've never really done the research. And so I began looking at the, um, you know, the, the, the crisis of people dying from opioid addiction. And I've been yes. looking at the numbers. And so in the seventies and eighties in our eighties and nineties, most of the nineties, the majority of people dying from opioid addiction was people of color, African-Americans, Native Americans, Latinx. Um, they were the majority of people dying. Mid okay. to late 80s, the, the number of white people dying from opioid addiction began to rise. It was still lower, but it began to rise. It was either late 90s or early 2000s, they actually were about equal. And then white people began dying at a higher rate And then early 2000s, it just skyrocketed, right? And the number of white people dying from opioid addiction just skyrocketed way far above other, other demographics. And this is the time when we're switching our treatment of drug abuse, right? Before it was a war on drugs and criminalizing um, uh, users, right? Yes. And users. And now early 2000s is where we began actually treating it as the the healthcare epidemic that it is and we began to have more life-saving techniques available on the streets we began focusing more on treatment but we didn't do that until there was a greater number of white people dying than people of color
0: So again comes down to so- the constitution
3: the war on drugs is absolutely a war on race and it is deeply rooted in the racism, sexism, white supremacy of our foundations. And so this is where we have to have, you know, and so today we have so many people sitting in prison for drug charges that are essentially legal now. Yeah. Right.
0: Yes. So why are they still in prison?
3: Are people of color. Yes. You know, this is where we have, we we started with our school to prison pipeline. This is where our mass. you know, it was, it was literally, it was Ronald Reagan and, and Bill Clinton during the war on drug period that perfected the art of mass incarceration, right? For-profit prisons, the school to prison pipeline. I mean, this is what they did. They, they played that tune beautifully. And now this is where we have this, we have. We are. We have the highest incarceration rate of any country in the world, mm. and again, it's because prison is where slavery is legal. So again, we we have to deal with our foundations. We have to abolish slavery. We have to completely reframe how we understand this crisis that we're in right now. It's true. And we, we need. I mean, so I'm grateful that in the early two thousands we begin treating it like it was like for what it is. It's a healthcare crisis. I'm very I lament that we didn't come to that conclusion until white people started dying.
0: Yeah. But also what, what you're describing, it's not terribly surprising it didn't happen, yes?
3: Not at all. This is how the nation is.
0: All right. Now, let uh, tell us, too, because, of course, there is like for any independent candidate, you understand this, how it can be uh, difficult actually finding a platform like there's uh, there. Uh, why there? Uh, why basically there aren't a. Uh, People talking about you all over the place, all over the news, is wildly frustrating, but not surprising. Uh, what What can I know? Tim and I, uh, Timmy and I, we're actually both signed up. Like a, you get, uh, you get the popular vote. We're mm-hmm. signed up to be your electors in New York State, so we're going to oh, do fantastic. that, which is awesome. What What can we do, and our listeners do, to help uh, you, you and uh, Sedna uh, get farther yeah. and more people so know right about? Right now,
3: we are we are really pushing to get on the ballot or have write-in access in as many states as possible. We're hoping that we can, people in 41 states will be able to vote for us. We expect to be on the ballot in three to five states. Okay. We are we're expecting that in 36 to 38 states, we'll have write-in access. Now, in every state that we are either on the ballot or have a, are, or are a write-in candidate, we need electors. Um, in every state. So if you go to our website, which is markcharles2020.com and yes. click on our ballot access page, you will find uh, a links for all of the 50 states and you can click on the state you live in and it will tell us the most recent information that we have and where we're at, what we're doing to get on the ballot or to be a write-in candidate in that state. We're actually hosting um, statewide call to action uh, video calls. Uh, Several times a week, different states all around the country, to to, uh, rally people about becoming electors and getting ourselves on the ballot in those states. Um, And so that we're we're making a very big push for that right now. We have several deadlines in August. We have even more coming up in September. Um, Just last week, we got on the ballot in the state of Vermont and the state of Colorado.
0: Congratulations. On the ballot
3: there. Thank you. We're very excited about that now we're looking to get write-in status, and we're working on Utah, Texas, um, several other states. We're actually hoping to get on the ballot in Tennessee and Louisiana yet. We're trying to collect signatures there remotely to get on the ballot in Texas, are in Tennessee and Louisiana. So yeah, if you go to our website and click on the ballot access page for the state you live in, you'll see all of the states we're working on and you know what we're trying to do within each of those states. Well, that's wonderful.
1: So, A, I asked you this last time. uh, What are you doing for fun, though?
3: What am I doing for fun? I am, so I haven't traveled in five months, which is a first for me, maybe, in my entire adult life. (laughs) I've been home for five, which has been great. I've been home with my kids. We eat dinner together every night as a family. Uh, You know, my wife and I are working on our campaign every day. Our kids are are at home. The summer has been kind of boring, but, um, you know, we're, we're social distancing. We go out for groceries and, you know, for other essential things, but mostly we're staying home. So, but it's taking a lot of walks, uh, trying to do exercise. Our kids are actually really getting into puzzles right now. All so right. We, we have several puzzles laying around the house um, that, that my daughters, especially and my wife, are working on. Um, yeah, so I've, and I've actually been, uh, You know, when when I, I've been focusing on my health for a long time, Um, trying to eat right and trying to, you know, get adequate exercise. And uh, when I'm home, I actually have a fairly healthy diet and I I walk a lot and I try to get exercise regularly. When I'm on the road, I'm uh, not so much. You know, when Mm -hmm. you're on the road, it's it's easy to just grab a burger or to, you know, to go to bed early or whatever, you know, you just your, your health kind of wobbles a bit on the road. And so because I haven't been traveling for, for five months, I'm actually at my lowest weight in probably about 15, 15 years.
0: Oh, congratulations.
3: That's um, good. Yeah. I'm actually feeling really, I, I'm feeling really healthy right now. You know, I'm walking probably at least two, three miles a day, maybe sometimes four or five. Um, I'm eating healthy and life is a bit boring, but, I'm feeling healthy. So. <laughs> That's good.
0: Now, only thing I'm thinking is I'm, I'm going to guess probably in D.C. you haven't found, or I don't know if there's anybody around who happens to have a donkey. That way, you and one of your daughters could walk around and hopefully hear the donkey bray, just like you talked about yeah. in your.
3: <laughs> no, there's no donkeys here. We have, though, however, we did this more in the spring. We had a beautiful spring in D.C. Um, yeah. It was, you know, 60, 70 degree weather for probably almost four or five weeks, maybe even six weeks. And in the spring, we haven't done that much in the summer, but because of COVID-19 and all the museums are shut down, um, the mall has actually just been a great place to go out and walk, you know, and to get out. And so we've actually had made several trips there as a family over the springtime, not to visit museums, but just to get out and walk up and down the mall and, you know, just kind of go out in the evening and, and have have some family time out there so we had done that in the spring we're not doing that as much in the summer because it's just so humid here in the summer you just have to stay inside which is a bit unfortunate
1: yeah well i want to ask your permission for something before i actually ask i want to try to set up a basketball uh uh, game with you and kim john ale
3: oh if you says yes would you do it i have i need to get back into my into basketball playing shape again i would love to Um, get back into shape to play basketball. I haven't, we actually um, live not too far from uh, uh, a campus that has a court um, literally across the street from us, but because that campus has been closed down for the pandemic, we can see the basketball court and we were going there with my kids fairly regularly to play and we haven't been able to go there since the, the entire pandemic started, which has been really disappointing because it's so close um but yes i would love to get jack more in practice of playing basketball and get back into basketball playing shape again all
2: right
1: well i'll try to set that up and if if uh yeah, if yes. he accepts i'll have to
3: yeah timmy wants you to play
0: basketball with kim jong un
1: Which is good for diplomacy it's good for diplomacy, <laughs> good for diplomacy yeah. you know like
0: it is diplomacy i I'll give
3: I, you... I don't know if i'm going to go that far but um <laughs> i would love i would love to personally play some basketball i'm not sure if I, I, I love, agree. um Play I'll, I'll leave that to Dennis Rodman. I think he has <laughs> his own um, whatever he wants to be doing. He yeah, has a whole thing going
0: on. <laughs> well, that counts. <laughs> oh, man, well, we appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mark Charles, for coming in.
3: Yeah,
1: thanks for your time again.
3: You're very welcome. It's great to be with you. Thanks for taking time on the show, and we look forward to being in touch some more.
1: All right, Looking Mark, forward to that, too. Thank you again. Best to you and your family.
3: Absolutely. All right. Stay Take care. care. You, Bye-bye. too
0: bye mark
1: oh hold on you gotta play just play now yeah!
0: oh there you go it's done <laughs> oh,
1: cool. right. Right. He still i he can hear it it's true Thanks. you can
0: hear this mark uh timmy's playing your song i'm
1: playing you out now <laughs> just, look, don't turn back because people yes. don't like when you turn back just gotta walk away like you know dropping money turn away
0: Amen. Um, but no. this was so cool. So glad that we got to speak with Mark Charles again. Uh, hopefully, coming up, we'll get to speak with Sednam at some point too. But I've posted his uh, websites. Uh, here's a link to where you can get his book. And right down the bottom, less when I put on his website, you find the ballot access page. That's where you can sign up to be one of his electors in your state. But we appreciate it, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We're hoping everybody is always staying safe and healthy out there. And uh, we know that we we find him inspiring. We hope that uh, Mark Charles has inspired you as well. And uh, hopefully this will be a sign that better things are coming up for all of us.
2: Yes, amen to that.
0: But we'll catch everybody tomorrow. And uh, stay safe out there.